Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again, everybody. Uh, uh, the title of this uh, little series that we're beginning uh, today is called Stay Woke. Now, I, I've always been a bit of a stickler when it comes to, to proper spelling and grammar, so some of you may be thinking, well, you know, she must be kind of losing it a little bit. And Because uh, when you look at the word woke in the dictionary, it, it refers to the, the past tense of the word wake. In other words, it's at the point, you know, somebody's woke, you know, they're past, they, they've evolved from waking up and hitting the snooze button 10 or 15 times, that kind of thing. And, uh, but, but in our culture, in recent years, the word woke has come to indicate uh, more somebody who is, who is with it, who, who just kind of understands what's going on and why it's going on, that kind of thing. And, uh, but then in, in most recent years, it has come to particularly refer to individuals who are well aware and understanding of social injustice and racism. Stay woke. Stay woke. I wish I could say that the, the record of the church in America with regard to racism, is a stellar one. But that is not the case. Um, one of the, the memories that is indelibly imprinted in my own mind and heart goes all the way back to my uh, junior year in college when I happened to be home one particular Sunday at, in Memphis, Tennessee there, and a uh, crowd of about 1,500 people in our church that morning. And for the very first time, a black family uh, was choosing to join our church. They came down during the invitation, and as our pastor presented them, he did what he typically did, and he said, all in favor of receiving this family say I. And there was a vast majority of people who hollered out I. But then he went on with, again, what he unfortunately always typically did as well, but he usually didn't even have to take a breath. He just went on to the announcements after that point. He said, all opposed with like sign." And for the very first time in my 20 years growing up in that church, I heard several cry out, no. I was seated near the back of the church and um, saw several young people immediately jump up, race out of the sanctuary into the foyer's screaming in tears. Friends, the purpose of my taking a break for a couple of weeks from our study of Philippians is to help us as God's people to stay woke. Jesus' vision, when he came to his church, was of a, a new community, a community that is, uh, is described where, uh, in Galatians 3.28, where there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And why is that the case? Well, he tells us why in the, in the two verses that precede that one, where he says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. So what then does it mean to be a part of that kind of a, a radical community, specifically with regard to race and race relations? Well, that's what we're going to be exploring in this uh, brief series for a couple of weeks. 
Um, beginning today with a brief look at what we'll call the theology of race. Now, don't let that word theology put you to sleep, okay? Um, the, the word theology just simply means the, the study of God and His relation and how He relates to this world. When we talk about the theology of race, then we're talking about a study of how, what God has to say about the issue of race, the matter of race. In Genesis chapter 1, 26... If we begin properly the study of the theology of race, it has to go all the way back to the very beginning when God created people. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, it's, it's very easy for us to just kind of skim over that verse, um, with, with, and, and unfortunately, um, people get, get very hung up uh, in, in this verse over just really one thing, and that's, not, and that's how God went about the process of making us. But right here at the beginning of His Word, we see some amazing things, and which begins with the very simple fact that God made us. I told you this is going to be basic theology. Again, don't get hung up. Don't, don't miss the forest for the trees. Don't get all hung up and get in debates over creationism versus evolution. The primary point, the huge point that God is wanting us to make, is going to want us to see here, the big truth is that people are not accidents. We did not accidentally crawl out of some primordial soup in the very beginning. God is a personal God who was personally involved in creating us. As the psalmist declares in Psalm 139, we are awesomely and wonderfully made by God. And God did not just make us, but we, as we just read, He made us, what? In His image. In other words, when He made us, God put something of Himself in us. A spark of the eternal, a little bit of the divine. And to be made in His image. It is, is more than just the ability to, to think or reason. It means that God gave us a soul. And because we have a soul, that means that we, unique to any other creature, there is no other creature in creation, there is no other thing in creation, no, no bird, no plant, no reptile, no animal, and especially no cats, all right? <clears throat> that have this amazing privilege, and that privilege is that is unique to human beings only. Because we have a soul, we have the privilege of having a personal relationship with the Almighty God, our Creator. Incredible, incredible. Now, let me ask, <clears throat> did you know, as we read through that verse a few moments ago, did, did you notice something that sounded a little bit odd? Verse 26 again, then God said, let us make man in our image. You're thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa us, us? I, I, thought, I thought God was all there was at that point. It was the only one in existence at that point. It had all, always been in existence. Well, you're exactly right. Because us is actually referring to God. Us is God. This is the very first place in Scripture that refers to the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, if you will, the triune nature of God, God the Father, God the, the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Again, not three gods, be very clear about that, not three gods, but a God who is three persons in one. Now, 
Don't worry about trying to figure that out, trying to fully understand that, because nobody ever has. It's impossible. That's why God is God and we are not. But the important thing to understand is this. Because God himself is in community, three in one, a community of oneness, so he then created us to be in community as well with him and also with one another, with other human beings. Now, a huge part of what that means is this. Every single human being that God has created is of immeasurable, immeasurable value. No matter the color of their skin or anything else, all people matter to God. Every single life has meaning and purpose. And listen, not only is God a defender of all that, but he also holds us morally accountable for defending that as well. Every person is of immeasurable value. Now, notice something else that we learn about who we are. Actually, this in the very next verse, verse 27 of Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God made us male and female. And that is just one example that illustrates the, the enormous diversity with which God created us as human beings. He made us in his image as men and women and then gave each one of us totally unique characteristics. Listen, there are what's like 7.8 billion people in the world these days. Do you realize that there is not a single one of those other 7.8 billion people in the entire world who are exactly like you, who have your fingerprints, who have your, you know, the pattern of blood vessels in your eyes, who even have the, the shape of your ears? But not only among those 7.8 billion, but there has never been anyone from the beginning of creation until now who has ever been like you and never will be. I mean, it's absolutely astounding. You are the only one who exists who has ever been and ever will be. And part of God's created diversity includes your skin, the color of your skin, the exact color of your skin. God loves every color of skin. You remember that song we used to sing when we were all kids growing up? Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are what? They are precious, precious in his sight. Why? Because he made those children and he made those skins. Now, some of you, as we're talking about skin color and that sort of thing right now, you, you, you may have this sort of lingering something or other that maybe you recall hearing, you know, way back when somewhere, and some of you may have even been taught this way back when, but something having to do with, with black skin being the result of a, a curse by God upon a certain segment of people in the Bible. It's actually what some people used beginning over 400 years ago, to justify, actually justify slavery, and then after the abolishment of slavery, to justify segregation. Well, it was called the curse of Ham. 
Now, we're not talking about green eggs and ham. <laughs> we're talking about ham as in the name of one of Noah's three sons. After the flood, you can find this account in Genesis chapter 9. But after the flood, one of the things that Noah did was grow a vineyard. And he was the very first craft brewer. <laughs> he grew a vineyard. And, and he apparently really, really liked that first batch of wine that, that came from that. And in fact, he got drunk as a skunk in his tent, buck naked, buck naked. Well, sometime shortly after that, he's passed out in his tent. One of his sons, the son named Ham, comes into his tent. And as he sees Noah there, Ham is thinking, Instagram story. <laughs> And he goes out of the tent and begins to apparently mock his father to his other two brothers. Well, the two brothers had much more respect and honor for their father. And so they went into the tent and they actually walked in backwards so they would not see his nakedness. They had a garment as they walked in and they laid that garment across him so that he would no longer be exposed. They honored their father. Now, when Noah found out about that, when Noah found out, because of what Ham did, Noah essentially disowned him, disowned him. He, he pronounced a curse upon him and his descendants who became the Canaanites, and it meant that Ham would, would receive none of the family inheritance, and that because of that, he would be subject from then on to his brothers. Well, so how did that justify slavery? I hope you're thinking. <laughs> how did that justify slavery? Well, to justify slavery... People took that story and embellished it. They added to it. They said that part of Ham's curse was not only to be enslaved to his brothers, but that his skin was also turned black. Therefore, black Africans must be descendants of Ham, and so naturally they must be enslaved. Now, Hopefully, you're thinking, how ridiculous is that? Yes. And how terribly evil is that as well? You see, our typical understanding of race is not the Bible's understanding. In the Bible, race is not about the color of skin. The Bible talks about people coming from different nations or tribes or languages or people groups, but the Bible never says anything about people being differentiated in groups according to how they looked. Never. In other words, from a biblical perspective, there are not multiple races. There is only one race, and that is the human race. All from Adam and Eve. Like this is how the Bible puts it in Acts chapter 17, verse 26. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. You see, and then as the gospel, as the good news of Christ was started breaking through all kinds of cultural and geographic and ethnic barriers, we read in Acts chapter 10 where the apostle Peter says, God does not show favoritism. But he accepts men from every nation. It's interesting. That phrase there, God does not show favoritism, you know what it means? It literally means God does not look at a person's face. He does not look at a person's face. He does not look at their skin color. Well, so where did 
ethnic variations come from, skin colors, et cetera, et cetera, especially if we're all descended from one man and one woman, from Adam and Eve. Well, that now takes us to the Tower of Babel. Maybe you remember a little bit of that story. If it's found in Genesis chapter 11. This, was long, this took place long after the flood at some point when the population had, had grown uh, immensely at this point. And the people then, <clears throat> in, in spite of, of, of knowing that the flood had taken place as part of God's judgment, the, the people decided at this point that you know, they were pretty sharp. You know, they, they, were, they, were, they really didn't need God all that much. In fact, maybe they didn't need him at all. Maybe they could be their own gods. And so they decided, we're going to build this huge, enormous tower. We're going to build this stairway to heaven, in essence, not to honor God, but to honor themselves. Well, as God observed all this going on, he's, he's thinking, I, you know, I, I've just already you know, um, uh, rebooted the human race once. Um, that is not going to happen again. And so instead of letting them bring destruction again up, upon themselves at that point, God confused their languages. All of a sudden, they all spoke different languages. And because of that, they couldn't continue, with, they couldn't coordinate and continue with this construction project. And they were scattered around across the earth. Genesis chapter 11, verses 8 and 9 says, In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world, and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, He scattered them all over the world. You know, that's why to this day, when we hear somebody talking and not making any sense, we, we refer to them as what? As babbling. As babbling. So, why is all this significant to the question of race? Well, now under, understand here, what I'm about to explain in just two sentences um, is way out of my field of expertise, okay? If you want a, a more detailed explanation that's not, still not very long, go, go to the Uversion uh, app there and to the sermon outline. You'll see a link that you can click on and watch a little more in, in detail. Please don't do that right now, but you can look at more detail. Um, but again, this is outside of my expertise. This is about biology of human cells, DNA, genetics, and so on and so forth. But it was the scattering of all the people to other regions of the world that created the environmental circumstances, which then allowed for physical variations to take place in the DNA of human cells. Differing physical features, everything from skin colors to facial features, began to develop as people groups started adapting to their new environments. That's when physical variations in the human race began. Now, so, how does all this play out in terms of being in community of oneness with each other? Well, let's go back to that verse that we looked at from the very start. Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And again, why is that? Why can that take place in a Christian, in a Christian community? Verse 26, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. See, when you became a Christian, you were spiritually clothed, he's saying, with Christ. As a Christian community, we are clothed with him. Another way of saying this is that the clothing the skin, the skin we now have on is not 
red and yellow, black or white. It is the skin, the clothing, the skin of Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And that is the only skin that we should ever see. You know, very early on in my ministry when I was serving another church in another state, I was having a a very difficult conversation with a man who was uh, about his extreme racist, segregationist viewpoint. And I finally asked him the question. I said, "So, so let me ask you, so what are you going to do when you get to heaven, and, you, and you'll have to be with your black brothers and sisters there. Now, at that point in my life, I thought I'd heard everything, but I had not. Because his answer was this. He said, he, he said I won't be meeting them in heaven. What do you mean? He said, I won't be meeting them in heaven because they are going to be in a different heaven. how sick and twisted our sin nature can cause us to be. Well, let me tell you what the Bible says that heaven is really going to look like, okay? This is, is part of, from, the, from the Apostle John's vision of the end time given to him by the Lord Jesus Christ, what we call the book of Revelation. He writes in Revelation 7, verse 9 and 10, I saw a vast crowd. Too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. Now notice, he doesn't see colors, he just sees people, one race of people. He continues, they were clothed in white robes, held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a mighty shout, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Friends, that's, that's a vision that we'll only get to perfectly see when Jesus comes back. But in the meantime, our prayer and our work needs to be, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I think it would be very appropriate this morning to conclude with, with what is essentially another description of that biblical dream. It's one that, that is, is just as timely and relevant today as it was when it was first shared on the steps of the Lincoln, of the Lincoln Memorial back in 1963. Let's watch and listen. So even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream 
that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with its vicious racist, with its governor, having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. Yeah. One day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. Just one question for your discussion this morning. Feel free to discuss any aspect of what we talked about. Of course, I encourage you to do that. But one question to be sure and discuss is this. Why is it, why is it that we struggle to see people the way God sees them? Why is it that we struggle to see people the way that God sees them? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that would certainly be part of our prayer this morning, is that as we be a more woke people, that we would see people much more regularly and consistently in the same way that you do. Father, that we might always honor and recognize the immeasurable value of each and every person, regardless of the color of their skin. Father, we ask that you would use us as change makers in this city, in our community, in our state, in our nation, and in our world. May we be defenders of the ultimate value of people, every people group, every people color, in your mind and heart and eyes. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.